on our 12th message from the book of First Peter. And last week we were considering <clears throat> how we are to desire the word of God. Because there must be a desire for the word of God if we are to... Um, if we are to live our lives, if we are to think through our existences here in the way that God wants us to live, there must be this constant return to the Word of God to help us to fashion the way that we think and to give wisdom to our hearts, which are very prone to wander and to uh, do their own thing. The, so it's so important to do that. But we also looked at experience. The Word of God tells us that God is gracious. Our experience tells us also that God is gracious. And uh, leading on from that is this passage that Peter develops using Old Testament uh, terminology, terminology that would have been familiar to people who were Jewish, not so familiar to Gentile, a Gentile audience, although they would have known about temples, they would have understood uh, many of the things that he was talking about here. And also, of course, uh, many of them would have heard important and protracted portions of the Old Testament too. So they would have been somewhat familiar with this language. What language is that? It's the language of... Uh, a temple and offerings and sacrifices, uh, things that we read about, as I said, in the Hebrew Bible. So let's read this passage together, verse 4 through to verse 10. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I was wondering what to call this. Uh, sermon, as you can see, I chose a pretty um, easy uh, word, which crops up a few times in the passage, because 
I think it focuses in on how important and how central Jesus is to the believer. You know, without him, I mean, we have, we have no hope. We have no chance with God. We have nothing but uh, wishful thinking as far as what happens beyond this life. We have no real consolation for um, the things that happen to us in this life. We have no hope that justice will finally find a footing on this earth. And we have no guide. We have no compass for our moral lives or for anything else. So Jesus brings all of these things to us. Of course, he brings them to us through the word as the spirit applies the word. But everything really is centered on Jesus Christ. Therefore, he indeed is precious. So the way that I've divided this sermon, the way that I want to look at this passage this morning, is uh, first of all highlighting how we have come to him, how we have come to Jesus Christ. Now Peter uses the uh, idea as coming to him as a living stone. There's no such thing as a living stone. Stones are dead. Stones don't live. They're inanimate. So what's Peter doing? Well, what he's doing is that he's using the idea of a stone in a temple or in a building. He's using architectural language, but he's infusing that architectural language also with the language of life, the language of animation. And so I know these two things don't normally go together, but we need to think of, or he wants us to think about, the church as something that is being built, something that has structure, that has purpose, that has a plan to it, as well as the fact, of course, that we are living and breathing and working and serving and worshipping as parts of that building. This living stone, Jesus Christ, we have come to. We have approached, we have received, we have accepted, we have believed in him. We know who he is. He is not just a figure from uh, the ancient world. He is indeed the saviour of all that come to him. He is the hope of all that come to him. He is the future king of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We have come to him because he is those things. But many have rejected him. In fact, the majority, this is why he just says rejected indeed by men because it is the majority, unfortunately, who have rejected the way, the truth, the life. They have rejected the way of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. They have rejected the answer to their questions about what is life about. What is my life about? They've tried to find that in other things. But all of those things ignore the central problem. 
of life, which is our sin. We know from looking out in the world, by hearing news, by experiencing troubles, we know that man's inhumanity to man, man's inhumanity to uh, to uh, creatures, man's inhumanity, if we can put it that way, in looking after his own world, that this is the constant cause of most of our ills. Always has been. Always, it seems as though it always will be. And if there isn't a cure for that, if there isn't something that intervenes in that to change that, that's going to be the way the world and history plays out until whenever. It all blows up, we blow ourselves up, it freezes over whatever termination event you think it would come about without the intervention of God. But Jesus has come. Jesus has addressed all of these issues. And when he comes again to act, he will change the world. He will uh, make it go in a different direction. A direction that we, men, human beings, are incapable of taking it. He is rejected by the majority of men. But to us, we have come to him, and he is precious to us. He's chosen by God to be our savior. He's chosen by God to be our friend and our brother and our king. And that makes him precious to us. I do hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is not just figure some figure in the New Testament to you, but that he is precious to you for what he has done for you. So we come to him as a living stone. He's a living stone, and verse 6 calls him the chief cornerstone. You see, when you lay out a building certainly in the ancient world, you have to have a a cornerstone that was shaped in just the right shape, just the right angles, up and down, so that the rest of the building uh, is built out from it. Do you see? Up and down in, uh, in all ways. So it starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with uh, something that's abstract or impersonal. It starts with a person. And it starts with his deeds, with what he has done, with what he has created. And via his death and via his resurrection, which is the idea of living here, he has formed a people who are like a building. They have plan, they have purpose, they have architecture, they have uh, a way in which God wants them to be. And so 
He says in verse 5, you also as living stones. Now, Jesus is a living stone. Our connection to him makes us living stones. Are being built up a spiritual house. It couldn't be any other way because there's no such thing as a living house, is there? So we're a spiritual house connected to him, built around him, built for him. And then things change just a little bit. He now calls us in the middle of verse 5 a holy priesthood. So now we're not stones. We're not the building itself. Now we're officiating in the building. So he's switching here. But the idea is still around this idea of activity, of living, of um, being related to God and to spiritual things. So we are now a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now this means two things. First of all, that any spiritual thing that we do, any, any sacrificial thing that we do, whether with our time, with our energies, with our finances, uh, with, because sometimes these things are an emotional drain, uh, so with our emotions or with our intellect, whatever it may be, it is only acceptable as a sacrifice. It is only something that God uh, will accept if it is offered through Jesus Christ. We have approached Jesus because he's the only way to God. But now, having received him, we must constantly come to God through him. This is why the habit has grown up in uh, the churches to finish our prayers by saying in uh, Christ's name or the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that mediatorship of Jesus, him being the intercessor for, for us, him coming, be the, the go-between between us and God, is essential to our understanding of what we're about as Christians, as a church. As I've said many times, our merit before God in and of itself is not our merit. It's his. Do you see? It's his. And it's because of his merit that we have merit before God. But it's not, it's not ours. Because the reconciliation has been worked out at the cross by him. And the blessings that come because we have accepted Jesus as our Savior are all by God's grace. And so we know that um, our sacrifices have to come through Jesus. But secondly... That obviously means that if we are not serving God in a way that is showing that we know that this is through Jesus and because of Jesus, if we are 
adding just even a little pinch of our own works, our own righteousness into this, it is not an acceptable sacrifice to God. We must constantly understand that we um, we do things for Christ and through Christ or we do things for ourselves and through ourselves. The former is the way to go. The latter will get you nothing but judgment. Now, even as a Christian, it will get you judgment. I don't mean that you'll be confined to hell. You won't. But your works will be burned up. If you'll turn quickly to 1 Corinthians and chapter 3, I can illustrate this very easily. 1 Corinthians and chapter 3, from verse 11. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, you're building on Christ, okay, this is your salvation. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are good things, valuable things. These are, as you will see, these are works that are done, sacrifices, spiritual service that is done for the Lord that are valuable because they're done for the right reason, for the right motive. Or wood, hay, straw, these are works that are not done through Jesus Christ. They are done self-righteously in our own strength and in our own uh, confidence of our abilities. Each one's work will become clear. For the day, this is the judgment seat of Christ, the day will declare it. How so? Because it will be revealed by fire. Oh, I see. Well, passing gold, silver, and precious stones through fire will only refine them. That's good for them. It makes them appear uh, more brilliant, more wonderful, more pure than they were. Wood, hay, stubble doesn't fare so well in the same conditions. So Paul here tells us, The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Is it done for Christ and through Christ as a living stone connected to the living stone in the purposes of God, offering up spiritual sacrifices to God or is it done because we think, oh, I'm saved so now I can show God how, you know, holy I am. I can just work and do this and do that and be busy for God, but not through Jesus. It's all done in your own energy and in confidence on your own abilities. The former will bring you nothing but reward. The latter will bring you, uh, I'm afraid, Nothing but your salvation. You will be saved because he continues here. Each one's work will become clear. The day will declare it. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on 
on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You can be saved, it's just that you won't have any rewards. So back to First Peter here. I think the difference between those two approaches is how precious Jesus is. Because if he's precious to you, then everything will be done through his uh, intermediary abilities, through recourse to uh, him as your Lord and your Savior. And so in verse 6, Paul quotes the Old Testament, Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And that's ongoingly. If you, if you serve God for the sake of Christ, in the name of Christ, you will not be put to shame. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. And it doesn't matter where you're doing it. And it doesn't matter um, who sees you or how much claim, acclaim you get down here for doing it. If it's done for the sake of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you will not be put to shame. God will acknowledge it, in other words. And so we come to Jesus as the living stone who is building the church. And we serve in that spiritual temple also. Not in our own capacities as um, people who have been put right and now have got everything sorted out. We come always as people who need the grace of God. We need to acknowledge Jesus and draw on him at all times. And so Peter continues here, says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient to the word that he's been talking about before this, quotes from Psalm 118, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In the first quotation, we see that uh, the builders have rejected Jesus Christ. And because Peter is applying this to Christians, or at least those within local churches some of whom were saved, some of them are not saved. There is a warning here to always make sure that our works, our service, is in accordance with what is acceptable to God through Jesus. Because if it's not, it's like rejecting the stone. It's like rejecting the cornerstone of the building that God has selected And we certainly don't want to be the ones who have rejected what God has selected as the chief cornerstone. 
Talk about facing God with egg on our faces. God has chosen this. What have you chosen, Paul? What have you chosen to build your life on, your religion on? What is the core of your beliefs and your works and your service? If it isn't what God has chosen, do you see, we are going to be ashamed. And so, Jesus becomes a stone of stumbling for such people and an offense, a rock of offense to such people. You see, either Jesus is precious, and he's only precious because you put him in the center, but you make him the main thing, and everything you do is because of him. Or you put him to one side, you put yourself in the center, and Jesus therefore becomes an offense because you're the main thing. Do you see? There are many people in our churches who are just busy people in our churches and they do many things in our churches I'm not pointing to any particular person here please don't think that I'm being very general but they, they're busy in the churches they like to do good works they like to be seen to be do, doing good works but they're not doing it for the right reason They're not doing it for Jesus. Understanding that God sees what they're doing and that's sufficient. I'm doing it for the Lord. Now we have ministries in this church, important ministries. We're trying to to, uh, kick off and... and, uh, reinvigorate the children's ministry, children's church. I have a quick advertisement there for. We want people who want to serve Jesus in that capacity just to sit and help out. It's not good that there's just one teacher in there. Yes, just one person in there teaching these kids, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it help them out if there was another person there? You don't necessarily have to teach, but just to be there. You'll be serving the Lord. Think about it. This is a way you can serve. This is something you can do, which God sees and has value, but only do it for Jesus' sake. But please do it for Jesus' sake. It says here, therefore, that they, the people that uh, don't value Jesus, they stumble being disobedient to the word. Oh, he's back to the word again. Do you see that? I've already had two sermons Before this, we're about the word. Now, Peter is reminding us that if we're not doing our Christianity in accordance with the word, 
we're not doing it right. We're being disobedient. We must value the word. We're either Christians, biblical Christians, because we are, you know, concerned with the Bible, or we're just what society calls Christians, but we're not really concerned with the word. We're being disobedient to it. If we're being disobedient to the word, how on earth can Jesus be precious to us? So is Jesus precious or is he offensive? Thirdly, Peter goes on and says that the reason that he can use these uh, these descriptions of us as living stones, as a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, is because now we're the people of God. We're of God, you see. We're connected, we're associated, we're accepted by God. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, these are terms that have been used in the Old Testament for Israel. And so... 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is a favorite stomping ground for those people who believe that the church is the new Israel and God's all through with the nation of Israel. Okay? You can see how they might uh, use this passage and say, well, if these terms are now applied to Christians and to the church, do you see, then clearly... They can't any longer be applied to the nation of Israel as they are in the Old Testament and the covenant promises. My first answer to that is that we need to be careful because there is a hint, more than a hint actually, in First Peter that it's written to Christian Jews. So that's the first thing. Remember how it starts, okay? Ele- uh, sorry, pilgrims or sojourners of the dispersion. Now, the dispersion is the diaspora. That's the Jewish diaspora. That's what the word dispersion would have meant. The, dis- the, the dispersing of Jews, Israelites, uh, across the Roman Empire because they were thrown out of Palestine. Yes? That's what that meant. Now, whether Peter is... Is, has that in mind, or whether he's just using a term of Christians generally being dispersed, is uh, an argument, an ongoing argument by biblical interpreters. But there is certainly a good argument with that uh, association with the diaspora and him using this temple imagery here in chapter 2 that he's writing to Christian Jews who recognize these, this wording. Which would mean, therefore, that verse 9 of chapter 2 fits perfectly because he's talking to Jews. Do you see? You say, well, but maybe he's not talking to Jews. In which case, what he's saying is that just as in the Old Testament and in the promises of God for the future of Israel, 
They are made a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Remember, they were to be priests to the nations, a holy nation and special people. So is the church. What's wrong with borrowing the language? It certainly does not prove that God has thrown out the nation of Israel and its promises and the church is the new Israel. It doesn't prove that at all. But let me get back on track here. I had to stop and say that because people use it that way. But let's get back on track. Christians are chosen. They're royal. They're holy. They're special. They are precious to God. Is that how you feel in your relationship to God? I don't mean in any kind of uh, stuffed shirt way or proud way, but just in a humble way. Do you know that you are chosen by God? That's how Peter opens up, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That you are royalty? I mean, you can't get any more sovereign than God, can you? He's the king. We're related to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, his son Jesus Christ. So as far as God is concerned, as far as the angels are concerned, as far as those in the know in heaven are concerned, we're royal. We're holy because we're saints. We've been set apart. We're special. We don't vaunt that, of course, that were to be, be in the flesh. We don't boast about that. What we do is that we, as verse 9 goes on to say, proclaim the praises of him who has called us. Because he's called us out of our darkness, out of our ignorance, out of our stumbling through this life wondering what it's all about, out of our uh, living in sin. Into his marvelous light. We've been called into the light. That light grows brighter and brighter the closer we get to heaven. Until it's so bright that when we get in heaven, we have to be transformed in order to live in it. We are the people of God. The God of heaven. We once were not a people. Not a people that was recognized by God, but now are the people of God who have obtained mercy. Do you see? If you're not a Christian, you haven't obtained God's mercy and you're in trouble. You need God's mercy. You need to obtain it. You need to obtain it, and there's only one place you can obtain it. Jesus, the cross. If you've believed in what Jesus did at the cross and in his resurrection, you have obtained God's mercy. And with that owning, owning of God's mercy, 
you have become precious to God. So in this passage, in closing, I want to highlight these two things. I want to highlight that Jesus always needs to be precious to you. He's not just precious because you believed in him, because he died and he rose again, and you have forgiveness of sins through him, but you've kind of drifted and he's not important anymore because, you know, you've done that, you believe that, and that's back in the past, and everything's kind of now sorted out for you. You punched your ticket and you don't need to think about it anymore. Now, if you really believed in him for who he is, when you professed him, he's precious today. He's always precious to you. That's one of the telltale signs that you're a true Christian. And second thing I want to focus on here is that having obtained mercy, we are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, we are special. We are living stones connected to Jesus. We also, even though we have no value of of our own, we're precious to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Because we are precious, we must always be mindful, Lord, of whose we are and of our value to you. We don't want that value to be sullied again by the world, by worldly thoughts and worldly deeds, by the attractions of living in this uh, fallen world help us father to be obedient to the word help us to always check how precious Jesus is to us right now because only then will our service be true service to you only then will we be acting as living stones in the plan for the church that you have. Correct us where we need correcting, Lord. Keep your mercy upon us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Wow. Chosen and special. That's all of you. Isn't that great? And now we get to go out and glorify God in all that we do, not just our service in the church, our service to our neighbors, our service everywhere. We have the opportunity to bring glory to God in everything we do. And so with this benediction, I want to just encourage you to look to honor and glorify God and enjoy Him with whatever this week brings you. And may you greet with His grace. Our benediction is out of Second Peter But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.